This morning, we are in Revelation chapter 17 and 18. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Ushers will be coming forward with Bibles. Just raise your hand if you need a Bible. And what we do here at Calvary Chapel, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the entire New Testament on Sunday mornings. So we're coming to the end of the New Testament. And we're in this interesting couple chapters this morning of Babylon. And we're going to see this morning, Revelation 17 and 18, we're going to see that there's two different Babylons. There's the religious Babylon, Revelation chapter 17, and then there's the commercial economic Babylon in chapter 18. And I believe, based on my study, I believe they're two different places. I believe the religious Babylon, we're going to see why in a few few verses when we get into it, I think the religious Babylon will actually be located in Rome, in Italy, and then the commercial Babylon will be the resurrected Babylon, which is present-day Iraq on the Euphrates River. And so we're going to see why I believe that as we go through this, this scripture. But it's interesting scriptures this morning because what we're going to see this morning is that Antichrist is going to rule in two ways as he develops his power during the Great Tribulation. He's going to rule, first of all, religiously. He's going to bring the whole world together into a one-world religion. And then he's going to rule economically, politically, and, and government-wise from a whole other city, which I think will be ancient city of Babylon. So if you're, if you're in Revelation chapter 17, say amen, and let's get going. Amen? Amen. Revelation chapter 17. By the way, as we're turning there, let me give you back the timeline again, too. Let's, as we go through this, let's remember the timeline. It, we, it's encapsulated in one verse, Revelation 119. Here's the timeline of the book of Revelation. Therefore, Apostle John, write the things which you've seen, the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. The things he's seen is chapter 1. He saw actually a vision of the glorified Christ, Revelation chapter 1. Then the things that are is chapters 2 and 3, which is the present church age. There's seven messages to seven churches. The words, the number seven is the number of completion. So I think it's actually messages to the complete church, even messages for the church today. So the things that, that he's seen, the things that are church age, chapters 2 and 3, and then after these things, the things that are after these things, that's what we're going to see, chapter four, uh, what we saw already in chapters 4 and 5 was he's raptured up to heaven, and at chapters 4 and 5 says after these things, after what things? After the church age, there's going to be a rapture, and then the great tribulation kicks in after the rapture. That's chapters 6 through 18, the great tribulation. And in, we've talked about this previously in the great tribulation. What happens is there's seven Three sets of seven judgments that go through during the seven years of Great Tribulation. There's the seven seals of God's judgment, the seven trumpets of God's judgment, and then the seven bowls of God's wrath of judgment, which we saw last week. And then what happens at the end of these judgments is our chapters here. It's the fall of the religious system of Babylon, and then the fall of the commercial economic system of Babylon, chapter 18. So that's where we're at this morning. So let's jump right in. Chapter 17, verse 1, it says, And then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, came and spoke to me with me, saying, Come here, I will show you, John, the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, you need to understand this. He's getting a vision, and what he's seeing now is this great harlot. Now, that's a kind translation. If you have the King James Bible, it actually says, The great whore. And what's the great whore? That's the real false religious system that's seducing people away from the true and the living God to follow this false religious system. What does a prostitute do? 
a prostitute seduces and is a false substitute for a true covenant marriage relationship. What does a false religious system do? It seduces people away from the true Christianity of a true relationship with Jesus Christ into a religious system that will be a false substitute for a true relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what this false religious system is going to do during the seven years. It's going to seduce the whole world away from Jesus Christ to the Antichrist. And why is this important? Because the only way the Antichrist is going to get world dominion is to have a world religion. The only way he's going to be able to get everybody under his control and influence is by everybody being a part of his religion. Today, one world leader couldn't bring the whole world together without a one world religion because what's going on in our world right now? we got the Muslim world, we have the Jewish world, we have the Catholic world, and they're all not going to come together in unity because they're all different, they're split apart. Look what's happening in the Mideast because of these different religions. Total split among people, people groups. Look what's happening in Ireland for the last several decades. Just between Protestants and Catholics, there's terrorist groups bombing each other because they're not one in their religion. And so this, this Antichrist has to get a world, one world religion to get a world, one world dominion. And that's what's going on right here. The great harlot is seducing the world to a one world religion so there could be a one world leader. And then it says in verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. Now, interesting, because what happens when you get drunk? What, do you, what, what kind of ticket do you get when you get drunk? D-U-I, driving under the influence. And now the kings of the earth are going to come under the influence drunk with the influence of this false religious system. He's going to influence them through delusion, through deception, and through the religion to get them to follow him and his religious system. And notice it says in verse 3, he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Who's the beast? It's the Antichrist. So this false religious system will be sitting on the Antichrist. He'll be connected together in his leadership, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, I'll tell you in a minute what the seven heads are, because it's explained later in this chapter. But the ten horns are the ten-nation confederacy of the resurrected Roman Empire. Very interesting. So horns represent authority. Those ten horns represent the authority of these ten kings that will be brought to power, the ten most powerful nations during the Great Tribulation, all under the influence of the Antichrist and his one world religion. Now, listen, 1 John chapter 4, verse 3 tells us that the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. 1 John 4, 3, I'll give it to you. It says this, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, and now it's already in the world. Now, a couple of ways that this false religion is going to deny Jesus Christ, the spirit of the Antichrist, is first of all, it's going to be just like the original city of Babel, which Babylon originated from. Do you remember what the original city of Babel did? They built a tower. And they tried to reach God and reach heaven by building a tower. Genesis uh, chapter 11 talks about that. And then as they built this tower, God says, no, no, man is not going to reach me by his own efforts. 
And he, he destroyed their, their languages, so he, he spilled their language or people groups all over the place because he divided them and sent them out because they were, trying to, they were trying to work their way into heaven. This false religious system, by the way, it's, it's the same false religious, false religions of our culture today. What do false religions say we're supposed to do? We're supposed to reach our way to heaven. We're supposed to earn our way to heaven. We're supposed to be saved by good works, Right? Just like the original Babel tried to, to build their way to God, so false religions will tell you it's based on works. But what does true Christianity say? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you've been saved. Through faith. That not of yourself. It's a gift of God. And one of the things you'll see in all the false religions of the world, there's, a, there's an element in their message that the only way you're going to get right with God is you've got to earn it. You've got to work for it. And Christianity says just the opposite. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And another part of this false religious system, not only does you've got to work your way to, to heaven, and is also the universalistic thing that's going, blowing through our culture right now and even blowing through churches right now. What we're, we're being told is there's all these different roads lead to heaven, and that's what our culture says, and it's fine. Just as long as you're sincere and devout, you'll, you'll get there, as long as you're sincere and devout in your belief in whatever form of God that you have. You could even call your God a higher power. You know what? I believe my God's a higher power, but his name is Jesus. And universalism is the spirit of the Antichrist in this false religious system. You know, I see this bumper sticker all the time. And it's, it's on vehicles all over the place. And I want to throw up every time I see it. You know why? Because it's saying coexist with all the different religions of the world. It's saying there's the religion of the Muslim religion. There's the religion of the cross. There's the religion of the Jewish religion. There's a the religion just of peace. And let's just all coexist. But the problem with that message is it's not the message of Jesus. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what did he say? No man comes to the Father except through me. Peter, preaching in Acts chapter 4, put it this way. He said this. He says, there's salvation and no one else, for there's no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. Amen? Jesus talked about it in the Gospel of Matthew. He was talking about the fact that that, that the way to eternal life is, is, is narrow. It's a narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is narrow and the way is constructed that leads to life, and there are what? Few who find it. Well, you're being, you're being narrow-minded. If you're saying that there's only one way, and the only way is Jesus. Yeah? Because Jesus was narrow in that area too. And he said there's only one way. In church, we got to preserve this doctrine of, of salvation only through Christ because the wind of doctrines that are even blowing through churches today is let's, let's navigate that. Let's, 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 let's be open-minded and tolerant because that's one of the chief virtues out there in the world. Let's just be tolerant of all things. No, no, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. You know, I love Oprah Winfrey for her generosity. I love her giving spirit. I love the way that she's, she's helped a lot of people down orphanages and stuff. But she is probably the most influential woman in America with her influence. But she is 
touting this universalism. I saw a video this week that probably goes way back, but watch this video. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist that I'm talking about here. Let's show this video here right now. A panel has been discussing the spirituality and the forces of God, but I also believe that there are two forces that are here with us, that we do have our, our, our God that we can depend on, but there's also a power of darkness that we do need to be aware of. And, and that's you, where the choice is. Do you begin. believe that, uh, that you can choose between one or the other? Most, most absolute definitely. Yeah. Now, now Marianne uh, Williamson says in her book, Return to Love, that we're always walking in the direction of one or the other, that all of your actions in life, either you're moving toward the darkness or you're moving toward the light. Right. She calls it fear and love. There's this wonderful book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, which talks, which, which is, anyway, it's a gorilla talking, but anyway. Uh, it talks about one of the points it brings out is one of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way to live That's and right. that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world that there are millions of ways to be then a human being and, and many ways no but many paths no to what you call god that and her path might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light but her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her if it brings her to the same point that it brings you it doesn't matter whether she called it god along the way or not and i guess the danger that could be on that i mean it it sounds great on the onset but if you really look at both sides I there could possibly be just one way what what about jesus what about jesus only one way. There is one way and only one way, and there that is through Jesus. There couldn't possibly be with because a million you of people say in the world. Isn't. There couldn't possibly be. Because you say, you intellectualize it and say there isn't. If no. you don't believe that, you're all buying into the lie. But that makes you right. Do you think, do you think that if you, if you are somewhere on the planet, where are you some, if you're somewhere on the planet and you never hear the name of Jesus, you never hear the name of Jesus, but yet you live with a loving heart, you lived as Jesus would have had you to live, you lived for the same purpose that Jesus came to the planet to teach us all, but you are in some remote part of the earth and you never heard the name of Jesus. You cannot get to heaven, you think? And that is covered in the scriptures, too. People are talked about that. God knows the heart. Does God care about your heart or God care about if you call his son Jesus? Well, you know... Oprah, God, Jesus cannot come back until that gospel is preached in the four corners of this earth. So, you know, figure it out. Okay, okay, I can't get into a religious argument with you. It's not Do you see there? That's the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, I'll give Oprah something in that she was concerned about people that don't hear the gospel, but we know that the Holy Spirit is working in people's hearts that don't even have missionaries yet. There's a whole book written called Peace Child of the fact that the Holy Spirit was working in this tribe even before the missionaries came and leading people to Christ. We also know that creation, Romans chapter 1, bears witness of God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, so that man is without excuse. And so we need, as the church of Jesus Christ in these last days, when Babylon and the religious system of Babylon is already starting to creep into our culture, we need to hang on to the message. There's salvation and no one else but Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Because everything else 
is the spirit of Antichrist. And we need to tell people it's not based on being good enough. It's based on a sincere relationship with Jesus Christ. And what true Christianity is, it's not religion at all. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And that's what it's all about, is loving God and having a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what saves us. And by the way, Jesus doesn't want us to be religious. He wants us to have a relationship with him. I don't like religious people. They're too stiff for me. I like people that love Jesus. I, when I was a young Christian, now this dates me, it goes back to the late 70s, there was one of my favorite artists at the time, his Christian artist was uh, uh, Scott Wesley Brown, and, and he wrote a, 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 he had a whole album, on the front of the album, it, it showed his face and stuff, and then it said, um, I'm not religious, I just love the Lord. That's true Christianity, it's loving Jesus, with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength, and everything else is just going by the wayside as far as I'm concerned. And then it says in verse, uh, go back to our chapter 17, it says, and then in verse 4, the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned. This is the false religious system, clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Interesting, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead, a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. So this false religious system is going to be persecuting and killing Christians in the name of their religious system because Christians will not give way to this false religious system, won't take the mark of the beast, won't worship the Antichrist, and they'll be killed for it. But look at the description of this religious system. It's filled with gold, precious stones, worldly beauty. It's going to have some of the most beautiful cathedrals that have ever been built because they'll have all the unlimited resources of a one-world economy. And it's going to be filled with just this beauty of purple and scarlet and gold and precious stones and even pearls and a gold cup. But notice, it's an abomination to the Lord. One, because they're killing Christians. But two, because God doesn't look at the outward worldly beauty stuff. What does God look at? He looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, God doesn't look at outward appearances. He looks at the heart. And that's not just true for individuals. I believe that's true for churches. God could care less about the beauty of our buildings. That's why I love our sprung buildings. Because we spring them up right away. And they're cheap. And this Dutch guy likes inexpensive. They're cheap in regards to the price is a lot less than brick or mortar. And they're great for sound, for worship. And I, I just love them because it's not about the building for us as a church. It's about the heart. Amen? And God could care less whether we have a $20 million building on this campus. What he cares about is what's going on in the heart of this church. And is the heart of this church a heart that loves Jesus? And is the heart of this church a heart that has a passion for the things that God has passions for? God doesn't look at our gold or precious stones or our pearl buildings. He looks at the heart. And may we have the heart of Jesus in this church, and then God will smile upon what we're doing rather than saying that's an abomination. Amen? 
I love the fact that we don't put an emphasis on buildings here. We put an emphasis on Jesus, an emphasis on his word, and an emphasis on people and on missions. And as long as this bald preacher is up here, that's what we're going to do here at Calvary Chapel. We want to have the heart of Jesus. We don't want to have all this ornate stuff because that's the stuff of religion sometimes. And that's what's going to be happening in ancient Babylon. And then it says, interesting, verse 7, And the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss to go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will wonder when they see the beast. He was and is not and will still come. Now, what is that all about? Who's the beast? It's the Antichrist. And it says here, this beast was, is not, and is yet to be. Now, that goes back to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13, if you remember, the beast is assassinated. I think it was a, it was a pretend assassination or a counterfeit assassination. I don't think he was really killed. But it seemed like he got a mortal wound in Revelation 13. And then he has this false resurrection. And that's a part of the way the beast was, is not, and yet will be. It's going to be a way for him to glorify himself as the leader of the world. Look at me. I got a fatal wound, and I'm still alive. And that's part of what the Antichrist is going to gain his power from, was from CNN covering him, basically getting assassinated, and then he's resurrected. That's what it's talking about right there. Verse 9. Here's the, the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sits, and there's seven kings Five have fallen, one, other, one, one is, the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. The beast which was and is not is himself an eighth, and one is the seventh, and he goes on to destruction. The ten horns which you saw, ten kings. Again, that's the ten-nation confederacy in Europe under the Antichrist who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. You see the Roman Empire resurrected there? And it's resurrected under the Antichrist, ten nations, probably in Europe, resurrected Roman Empire, and they give their authority and their purpose to the leadership of the Antichrist. Now, interesting here, too, it says the city that this false religious system will be in is the city of seven mountains. Now, What's, where's that? I believe that's Rome. Because in the ancient Roman Empire, listen, first of all, there's nicknames for cities, right? If I was to say Big Apple, where's that at? That's New York City, right? If I was to say Windy City, hey, that's my city right there. If I was going to say for a state, uh, Granola, the land of fruit, oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I said, the first service, I said that was California, land of fruits and nuts. Just kidding. But that's kind of where California's going right now, isn't it? We had a whole row of Californians here, and they were about to throw tomatoes at me, for transplant Californians. But they said afterwards, oh, we're here for a reason, because we got out of that. But, but so the nickname in the Roman Empire, first century, for Rome, was that it was the city on seven hills, or the city with seven mountains. And that's why I believe that the Roman Empire resurrected by the, by the Antichrist, his religious system 
will be in the city of seven hills or seven mountains. I also believe that this is probably the city of the false religious system too because what else is in Rome right now? It's the Vatican, right? What's the largest religion in the world right now? Catholicism. And I don't want to be a Catholic basher because I think some people have true relationships with Jesus Christ in the Catholic religion. They know Jesus, some, some people within the religion. But as a whole, the Catholic Church has gone aside a lot to false teaching in regards to works and worshiping relics and other things like that. And what's going to happen with the Antichrist, with this false religious system, is he's going to bring the main religions of the world into a one-world religion. Probably the Catholicism, Muslim religion, the Jewish religion, somehow he's going to mainstream all of that into a one-world religion. And I think it will be based in Rome, in the Vatican, and that's where he's going to reign from religiously. Does that make sense? And then it goes on. These will wage war, verse 14, against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them because he is, notice, Lord of lords and what? King of kings. And those who are with Jesus are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. Who are we? We're called out by God to be his. We're chosen by him. The word chosen, we're selected by him. Man, if you don't feel special, you should go back to that, that God chose you to be adopted into his family. And lastly, we are not only that, we're called to be faithful. We should all be living in such a way that we're going to hear those words when we get to heaven. Well done, good and faithful servants. Enter now into the joy of your master. But I want you to see something here in this verse. This is a little preview of next week. Hey, don't miss next week. Next week we're looking at one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. And I'm serious about that. You know, you say, you say it about every chapter. I love every chapter in the Bible. But next week is the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're going to look in detail next week of him piercing the skies with his white horse. And by the way, this verse says, when he comes back on his white horse, it says, we are going to be with him. So if you haven't learned how to ride a horse yet, you'll learn in heaven. Because we're going to be with him on white horses. We'll see that next week. And when he comes back, he's not coming back like he did the first time as a suffering servant. He's coming back as a conquering king. And we're going to see next week on his side is going to be emblazoned the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we're going to see a sword's going to come out of his mouth. And Antichrist and 200 million troops are going to be in this valley of Megiddo. And they're going to try to wipe out the armies of heaven. And Jesus, just from the sword of his mouth, is going to declare victory. And the blood of these people that are opposing Christ are going to flow for 200 miles in the valley of Megiddo, square miles. And it's going to be the victory of Jesus Christ. And then in Revelation 20, we're going to see him set up his reign with us upon earth for a thousand years. And the more I think about the, the more I say, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. Let's get her done. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's coming. We're going to look at that in detail next week. But this is what it's saying is, don't ever forget as we study through the book of Revelation, our Savior is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He wins. You want to put a bet on something? Bet on that, that Jesus Christ will win. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see it in detail next week. And then it says in verse 15, and he said to me, the waters which you saw where the the harlot sits, that's the false religious system, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. It's a worldwide religion. And the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot 
and will make her desolate and naked, will eat her flesh, and will burn her up with fire. For God has put in their hearts to execute God's purpose by having a common purpose, by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. The woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now, this is interesting. You know what it's saying here? It's saying that at, the, at, at some point during the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist is going to turn on his own false religious system, and he's going to demolish it. Now, question, why? This is the thing that's brought him influence in worldwide dominion by getting everybody in one world religion and worshiping him. Here's why. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, probably about the midpoint of the Great Tribulation, he's going to set up his throne in the holy temple. And he's going to have all the world worship his image in the holy temple. Jesus called this the abomination of desolation. It brings the final judgments of God in the world. And I believe at that point, when he puts his image up in the holy temple, the false religious system, including uh, people that are Jewish, are going to say, that's wrong. We are not going to worship a man in our holy temple. And at that point, there's going to be a civil war between his false religious system and the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is going to crush his own false religious system. Isn't that the way the world operates, by the way? If you don't go with the flow of what they want you to do, they'll crush you. And that's what the Antichrist is going to do to his own own false religious system. So that's the religious system. Let's look at chapter 18. After these things, this is the commercial system now. I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every unclean spirit, and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, as the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. You see the change from religious to commercial here? It says the merchants of the earth in this city, this commercial city, have become rich by their, by, the, by their selling of sensuality. Interesting that this Antichrist, in the midst of God's judgment, in the midst of worldwide catastrophes like we've seen the last several weeks, like a third of the world's population killed in one plague, uh, the, the whole sea turning to blood, all the boats and the sea creatures demolished. We see earthquakes and we see hailstones, 150-pound or 100-pound hailstones raining down to the earth. In the midst of that, this Antichrist, because of his leadership, builds a world system where merchants are becoming rich like crazy. Rich. Interesting, too, God's perspective is in the midst of their richness is, look what he talks about here. He says, this is a place of demonic activity where actually demons are dwelling. It's a place where it says, it says the prison of every unclean spirit and the prison of every unclean and hateful bird and a dwelling place of demons. Have you ever been to places like that? I remember when we lived in North County, San Diego, and uh, we would come home to the Midwest. We would always, about eight hours into our trip, we'd always uh, stop in Las Vegas. One reason is because I'm Dutch and I'm cheap, 
and you can get some really good hotel, hotel, uh, good hotel deals for one night there, and they have cheap buffets there, and we would just be in and out. We would stay there at nighttime and then get the four kids up in the morning, get on the road. But I remember going into Las Vegas. You, you're going through this desert as we're driving back towards the Midwest, and everything's pitch black, stars dark, and then all of a sudden you get to the top of one of these hills going into Vegas, and all of a sudden you see nothing but lights everywhere. And then I remember driving into that city, and I remember driving into that strip and going to a hotel, and you could, the hair on the back of my head would actually, you could feel the demonic home that place is. You could feel that this is, and demons are everywhere. There's millions of demons all over the world, but there's certain places they really feel at home at, and that's one place I really sense, man, that's just a dwelling place. I remember one time, too, I went on a scuba diving trip with some friends in college, and we had just taken the scuba diving class and got certified and everything, so we all went together on a trip, and our stopping point on the way back was, on a Saturday night, was uh, New Orleans, and we, our, our flight got canceled, and we had to sleep in the airport to, to, to get the flight the next morning. And then these guys I was with, they talked me into going to downtown New Orleans on a Saturday night right before Mardi Gras. And I'll never forget walking down that street. We just walked up and down the street on Bourbon Street. And we're walking up and down Bourbon Street. I'm going, I've never seen stuff that we saw in regards to, I, I thought that was a woman. And all of a sudden we got close. I'm going, that's not a woman. Nice skirt and, and high heels, but that's not, in things like that all prevalent on that street of Bourbon Street. And I'm going, am I in Sodom and Gomorrah? I, but you could just feel the darkness in that city. And that's how ancient resurrected Babylon's going to be as the Antichrist place, makes this a place of commercial merchants getting rich off of sensuality, but it's a place of demons and unclean spirits. And then it says in verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you'll not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For the, her sins, commercial Babylon's sins, have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So what is God's call to the tribulation saints that came to Christ during the great tribulation that are still alive right now during this great tribulation? What's he telling them to do? Come out! Get out of Babylon, man! And that's always been God's message to God's people. Come out. What does the word holy mean? Separated. Different. Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is what? Good and acceptable and perfect. And I tell you what, the world is going more and more, even in our generation, more and more towards Babylon. And it's our, the message to us today, too, the message to the church of Jesus Christ today is in the midst of the world going darker and deeper into Babylon, we need to come out. We need to be different. Now, we need to be in the world. We need to be working in the world. We need to be the light of the world. We need to be the salt of the earth. We're not to go live in some monastery or somewhere or something and become a monk, but we are to come out in regards to we are to be different than the world. We are a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, a people who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light to declare the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into light. And listen, church, as long as we keep living like the world, we ain't going to change the world. The way we change the world is if any man is in Christ, his new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. 
Now, does that mean we need to be perfect? No, because we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to struggle. We're all going to fight our own battles and everything else. But let's, let's at least be like Paul. It says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Let's pursue holiness. We'll never be perfectly holy until we get to heaven. But let's seek first his kingdom and his righteousness so that God can add all things unto us. And if we're going to make a difference in this world, if we're going to be a world-changing church and a world-changing Christian, we got to come out of Babylon. we got to be different. And I see way too many Christians basically playing church. They come to church on Sunday, and they live like the rest of the world all week long, and that's not going to be a world-changing Christian. World-changing Christian is someone who's living for Christ to the point your life is different. You talk different. You live different. You have different lifestyle. You don't get drunk like everybody else on the weekends. You don't lie, steal in the name of business or whatever else. You don't live like the rest of the world because you're holy. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Let's come out of Babylon. Amen? Let's be different. Let's people, let people say, hey, those Calvary Chapel Christians, oh, yeah, they meet in this big dome over there, but they, they're, they're different. And that, and that, that we're different, okay? There's a difference. We're different because we're living for Christ. We're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Okay. Let's get out of Babylon. And then it goes on. After that, it says in verse 6, pay her back even as she has paid and give back to this commercial Babylon double according to her deeds, and the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her, to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For Babylon says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I'm not a widow. I'll never see mourning. Isn't that the attitude of the world? Hey, this party's never going to end. Eat, drink, and be merry, man. Let's party. This party's never going to be over. But it is. And what did Jesus say? What does a prophet of man that gained the whole world but lose his soul? It's like that story of that rich man in Luke chapter 12 that, you know, he was rich and he had all this stuff. And he said, well, I'm going to build more barns and get more stuff. And, and that very night, his soul was required of him. And Jesus said, that man would have been smarter to be rich towards God rather than just rich towards the world. Amen. Verse 8, for this reason, in one day, her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she'll be burned up with fire, for the Lord God who judges her is strong, and the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensually with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, whoa, whoa, the great city, Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour... Her judgment has come. Now, three times it's going to say one hour, this great, probably the greatest city that's ever been built, this commercial center of the whole world, one hour destroyed. Now, in times past, centuries past, a lot of liberal scholars would say, well, that's not possible to destroy a huge city like that in one hour. That ain't, that ain't feasible. Listen, 1945, August 6th, 8 a.m., Hiroshima. One bomb dropped on that city in one minute, destroyed 70,000 people, and flattened every building within a two-mile radius around that bomb. 
Now, I don't know if God's going to drop an atom bomb on Babylon. I think he might just say, boom, fire from heaven. But don't tell me our God couldn't destroy this commercial city in one hour when man destroyed a whole city, Hiroshima, in one minute in 1945, August 6th. Eleventh uh, verse, and the merchants of the, the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buries their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linens and purple and silk and scarlet. This is all the commercial activity in uh, the commercial center here. And every kind of citron wood and articles of ivory and articles made from costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses, chariots. Notice this. Even the business activity of slaves and human lives. Can you say human trafficking? It's going to be happening big time in Babylon. The fruit you long for has gone from you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. And the merchants of these things who become rich from her will stand at a distance, these businessmen standing at a distance, distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, whoa, whoa. The great city, she who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour, there it is again, one hour such great wealth has been laid waste. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor, as many as they make their living by the sea, stood at a distance. And they were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out. Notice they're weeping and mourning, saying, Whoa, whoa. The great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she's been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Now, I want you to see something here, church. Are there merchants and businessmen weeping over probably the mass loss of human life in the city? No, no, no. They're weeping over what? The loss of their money. And that's the way the world operates. The world loves money and uses people to get money. The way we're supposed to operate as Christians is we're supposed to love people and use our resources and our money to bless people and further the kingdom of God. You see how we're supposed to be different that way too? We're to be people that whatever the Lord blesses us with, hey, God's blessed us to be a blessing. And we're, we're, we're not about loving stuff. We're about loving people, man. Because Jesus said, the great commandment, the new commandment I give to you is this. Love one another. Even as I've loved you, you also must love one another. And then John 13, 35 says this. By this, all men will know you are my disciples. By the size of your building. By whether you go to Calvary Chapel or not by whether you go to church every Sunday. All men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And in these last days, as Babylon increases, it says that people's heart will grow cold and love uh, and people's hearts will grow cold. We need to be more on fire in our love for one another in these last days because that's a part of our witness too, right? The people that led me to Christ in high school... They cared about me with an unconditional, godlike love like I'd never experienced before. I mean, even when I was questioning them, even when I was arguing with them about the validity of their beliefs, they cared about me and they loved me. 
And even after I became a Christian and I did stupid things, they cared about me and they loved me. Let's be different than the rest of the Babylon world around us that just uses people and loves their stuff. Let's love people and use our stuff to be a blessing. Amen? And then it closes up. And then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard any longer. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard any longer. In other words, the party's over, Babylon. And the light of a lamp will not shine any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will not be heard any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets, of saints, of all who have been slain on the earth. In other words, persecution of Christians during the Great Tribulation is going to happen not only with commercial Babylon, but religious Babylon, because they won't take the mark of the beast, and they won't worship the Antichrist, because they're going to worship Jesus Christ. Now, closing. It's Super Bowl Sunday, isn't it? Good challenge on Super Bowl Sunday. Come out of the world. I want to challenge you. If you're in the world and you're just being like the rest of the world rather than living for Christ, come out of the world, man. Quit playing church and be the real deal. Be real Christians that are saying, I am going to do my best to live for Christ in a world that's going Babylon. Come out of the world. I'll give you three tests that will help you determine whether you're coming out of the world or not. Here's the first test. I call it the Job test. Remember Job, Old Testament? He lost everything. I mean, he was, he was a wealthy man. He had a great family. He had a great business. He had everything. But Satan was talking to God and said, the only reason why Job is so righteous and follows you and serves you is because you blessed him so much. Let me take everything away from him. See if he'll still love you and serve you. And God allowed it. His roof came crashing out, lost his house lost his kids, lost his business, lost his health. But what did Job do in the midst of that? Job 121, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the Job test. Are you having a light grip on everything God's blessed you with to the point that if you lose everything, you're still going to worship Jesus? Is Jesus the passion and love of your heart to the point that if you lose everything, it doesn't matter because you still got Jesus? Because no one, not, not even Satan himself, could take Jesus away from you. Jesus holds you in the hollow of his hand. He loves you. He'll be with you. There was Jesus. That's my favorite worship song right now. There was Jesus because he's always been there, always will be. He'll never leave me, never forsake me. He'll always with me, always even to the end of the age. The Job test is you're holding so tightly on to Jesus and you're keeping a light grip on everything else to the point that if you lose everything else, it doesn't matter because you got Jesus. That's the Job test. Here's the second test of whether you've come out of the world or not. It's the people test. What are people to you? Are people individuals you're trying to use to get more stuff? Or are people people that you're loving and are using your stuff to bless them? That's the people test. Again, Jesus said, by this all men will know you are my disciples. 
by your love for one another. He said the greatest commandment is to love God, all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first and foremost command, but the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's be Christians that are, are loving people and using our stuff to bless people. That's part of coming out of the world and the Babylon system around us. Third test, it's the heart test. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Are you someone that's prioritizing the eternal and the spiritual, or is your main priority in life the physical and the temporal? You know what the good news is? If you prioritize the eternal and the spiritual, God takes care of everything else. That promise is Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll add everything else onto you. God is Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord that will meet all your needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. And if you put him first and you seek him first with your heart, he'll take care of all that other stuff. Amen? So if you're here this morning, I encourage you with a message from this morning. If you're here and you want to come out of the world, it takes one word. This brother right up here has it on the back of his shirt. Repent. Have a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. And it's a message to me, too, because the world's pulling me in all the time, too. Enough of that. I'm going to come out of the world. I'm going to be different. I'm going to love people and use my stuff to bless people. I'm going to be somebody that, that has this passion in my heart to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And if everything else I lose, fine. I got Jesus. And I got the source for happiness and joy anyways. And if you're here this morning, you've never opened your heart to Jesus, man, what are you waiting for? Jesus says, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, I'll come in. And I'll be your Savior. I'll be your Lord. If you just confess through the mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Jesus says you could be saved. If you're not saved yet, get saved, because this stuff we're studying is coming. And the only people that are going to escape from this stuff Babylon and all this garbage that's coming are Christians that have given their hearts to Christ, opened their hearts to Jesus, and then we're going to be raptured out of here before all this stuff hits the earth. If you haven't done that yet, do it this morning. I'll give you encouragement. I'll encourage you. I'll give you an opportunity during the prayer time just to raise your hand and say, Pastor John, pray for me. And if you want me to pray for you to receive Christ, I'll just pray a short prayer where you can open your heart to Jesus. If you've never done that before, do it this morning. God will bless that, and Christ will come in your heart and just give you living water. He'll give you forgiveness and salvation and a changed life.